It reads, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Lord, we go to this psalm a lot. But this is just such a constant psalm in our lives right now. Lord, let us serve you with gladness in whatever area you've called us. Lord, let us come before your presence with singing. Let us be reminded that you are our creator in all ways and all things. Let us just come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Just be thankful and bless your name. You are good. Lord, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Right now, we weep for those that have lost ones. We weep for those that are struggling for every breath. We pray your hand of health to be upon them. We just think of Danny in Michigan, your continued health. We just think of Judy, your continued recovery. Lord, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. We thank you for the season that we're in because you are good and we may redeem the time. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for just the chance to come together as the body of Christ here digitally, but for your glory and your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We will be in Psalm 24. Psalm 24 this morning. Glad you can make it with us. Glad you're out there watching. A couple quick reminders about some things going on just to uh, keep you posted and updated. First off, what a blessing uh, worship was. Absolutely love that. Getting a chance to see everybody come together every Sunday. I come here and I'm always excited to see who's going to be up there and how it's going to be. And I just, what a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Um, One of my favorite lines in any worship song is from It Is Well, My sin, oh the thought, my sin, oh the blessing of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Oh praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Love that line. Always have loved that line. And just what a blessing that was. A big thank you to to Rachel and... um, Ellen and Marv and Scott for taking the time to do that. We are very blessed and to God be the glory. Very blessed and to God be the glory. A couple quick reminders. Prayer call this afternoon at 3 o'clock if you want to get involved with that. Lynette leads that up. Wonderful time just to get together, pray through some scriptures, pray through the needs of the body of Christ. Great chance to come together spiritually. As we've been saying every week, we may have to isolate physically. We don't have to isolate spiritually. Also, guys, if you want to get involved in any studies, we have uh, multiple online studies going on. If you're interested, just contact me. I'll give you information ladies there's a study going on i believe on fridays if you want the information contact us we'll get you hooked up with that also uh the collecting and making face masks for the ridge project as well all that information should be on the church facebook page we have different ladies that are can tell you how to make them and where they can be delivered and those are being collected and delivered there so check the church facebook page for that pat if you're watching if you want to maybe put that back up there again towards the top so people can see that I've had a lot of people contact me saying, um, hey, when are we going to be able to get back together? What does this look like? And the, the reality is, I don't know. Um, hopefully this week we hear something you know, coming out of the state on what that looks like. And on the 
numerical restrictions are going to put on for people meeting together. And once we get that information, we'll go from there. We've been getting together with the different ministry leaders uh, via meetings and phone calls and Zoom and praying and seeing what would work and see what would not work. You know, we want to be blameless in this area, but we do desire to have the body of Christ come back together. And we want to see what that looks like. So keep that in prayer. And hopefully we get some more information this week on what that looks like. And we can see where the Lord takes it. But just remember, no matter what, God is good. He does good. And as we've been saying every week, we're going to be prayerful. We're going to be practical, but we're also going to be purposeful. Purposeful representing Jesus in all we say and all we do. So Psalm 24 this morning. Psalm 24. Once again, if you want a devotional, if you want a Bible, if you want anything, contact us, let us know. If you have any needs, contact us, let us know. Whatever we can do to help, we want to represent Jesus in this time. So please let us know. Psalm 24. Let's read and then pray. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up your everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. This is a very interesting psalm. If you read through this, there's really not a prayer in this. This is more of just a declaration. Just declaring different points about God and who he is. It's a pretty simple breakdown. Verses 1 and 2 were declaring God is the creator. Verses 3 and 6 were figuring out how do we as sinful people relate to this holy God that created us. And then verses 7 through 10 is our only response we have to this relation is responding and giving God the glory. He is the glorious king. If you look in verses 7 through 10, the word glory is mentioned five different times there. What a way to kind of end this. Now, if you put Psalm 22, 23, and 24 together, it forms a nice little pattern. A nice little pattern. Psalm 22 is all about Jesus dying. Psalm 23 is about now that he has died, he is our shepherd because he rose again and he now shepherds us. And Psalm 24, it's about Christ then returning in some ways in glory. It's a really neat idea to kind of look through with that. And it's how the Psalms all connect. We mentioned way back at the beginning of our study in Psalms. Sometimes it looks like these Psalms are just thrown together. But there is a connection between them. And if time would ever allow, it would be great to teach Psalm 22, 23, and 24 together. So that way you could see this connection of his death and resurrection in 22. Him shepherding us now in 23. And his return in glory in verse 24. So, if you haven't got a chance to go with us, I encourage you to go back, listen next last week to Psalm 23. We actually did Psalm 22 for our excellent Wednesday study on the Wednesday before Resurrection Sunday. So you can go back and listen to that as well. But here's the deal. To truly grasp God's glory. To truly grasp God's glory, verses 7 through 10. To truly understand how we can have a relationship with God, verses 3 through 6. We have to to understand verse 1. I mean, we have to get verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. 
we have to get this concept. And, and the concept is pretty straightforward. I have been created by God and I have been bought by God. Now that's a point that we've made many times before out here. I have been created by God and I have been purchased by God. Now let's build on this a little bit here because if we can get this point, this will help us then through the rest of the psalm. If we can't grasp this point, then the rest of the psalm is kind of just meaningless in some ways. So let's talk about this for a second here. What's it mean, this idea that I have been created and bought by God? I think Deuteronomy 32 explains this very nicely. It says, do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? That verse explains it perfectly there. God bought us and he's also made us. Now we used this example a couple months ago out here. Imagine you going and, and creating this amazing piece of artwork, piece of woodwork, whatever you want to do. Imagine you were going to make this beautiful piece of woodwork and you go out and you chop down the tree. You, you create it, you sand it, you stain it, you varnish it, you put all the work into it. You've made this beautiful masterpiece. And then you have to go now and buy it. But that's, that's what Christ did. He created us. We fell into the slavery of sin. And then he had to come purchase us. 1 Corinthians 6. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He had to purchase me back from sin on the cross. His blood was the only currency accepted. 1 Corinthians 7. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. He created me and then he purchased me. Colossians 1.16 says this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. Part of the reason why I took you to Psalm 100 today and read that is because it says this. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. So let's just get that point established there. God created us. God made us. So therefore, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's at all its fullness. One translation says, everything in it is his. My possessions are his. My money, his. My kids, his. My emotions, his. Everything is his. If we can't get this verse down, none of the rest of the chapter matters. You have to grasp you were created by him, and not only created by him, then purchased out of slavery by him. So therefore, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It is all his. This verse is vital to truly understanding verse 3. If you look at verse 3, remind yourself of verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It is vital to get this. If we don't grasp that it is all his, then he's just one more thing vying for my attention. See, if I don't grasp that God is my creator and my purchaser, and he is absolutely everything, then he's really just one more thing in this world trying to get my attention. He's just one more commercial on the television wanting me to go purchase something. He's just one more show that wants me to watch. He's just one more song that wants me to listen to. He's one more piece of art that I'm supposed to look at. He's one more hobby that I do. 
No, if you remember correctly, when we went through this concept in Colossians, Christ is absolutely everything. Colossians 3, 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. My life is in Christ. Colossians 2, 10, you are complete in him. Complete in him. I've shared with you before, one of the prayer requests I like to pray is that my identity would be in Christ. My identity cannot be as a father. Eventually, my seven children will grow up and move out and have their own families. My identity cannot be as a husband. I am so blessed with Dawn, but the reality is, I don't know when she's going to go to heaven. I don't know when I'm going to go to heaven. My identity can't be as a spouse. My identity can't be as a pastor. I love this place. But yet at the same time, right now, here I am teaching to an empty room and just Elias. My identity can't be in the people. My identity has to be in Christ and Christ alone. And and I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. A lot of times when I'm talking to people and I see discouragement, I see depression get into their lives, I see despondency, it's because their identity is not in Christ. I see this a lot as we get closer to graduation time in May. I see a lot of kids struggling with graduating because their identity is in their school and their activities and their sports. I see a lot of parents struggling with kids moving, empty nest, because their identity is in raising their children. I remember one time hearing a teaching years ago. They said, when your last child leaves the house, the best thing you and your spouse could do is go on a missions trip. is to remind you your identity is in Christ and nothing else. For some people, their identity is in their job. Some people, their identity is in their finance, in their checkbook. It said their identity is in their health. Your identity has to be in Christ. Let me repeat the verses. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him. I am created by him. I am purchased by him. I am bought by him. He is not just one more thing in my life trying to get my attention. He is everything. He is my life. If I can grasp that from verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, everything in it, the world and those who dwell therein. He founded it. He established it. Everything. Now it takes me to verse 3. Because if everything is the Lord, my next question should be verse 3. Lord, how do I get to you? How do I ascend into the hill of the Lord? How do I stand in his holy place? So two things there. How do I ascend or climb? And how do I stand in something that's holy? Now this, this is the question of all questions. That this is it. How do we, as sinful people, approach a sinless God? I mean, this is evangelism right here. Is the idea that there is something more in this life and that there is some type of eternity. Ecclesiastes says he has put eternity into our hearts. There's something more out there. So how am I going to get there? This is the question that when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, and we can get to a deeper part in the conversation, that I can get there and say, listen, if you believe in the concept of an eternity, if you believe in the concept of a heaven, how are you getting there? And anybody that ever believes in the concept of an eternity or heaven, and you ask them how they're getting there, they almost always say the same thing. God wants you to be a good person. Oh, man. Who? Who can ascend into this hill of the Lord? Who can climb? Who has enough good works to do that? You know, Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. 
It says, but we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is no way I can do enough good to get to heaven. No way. In fact, if you go study out the Bible, even one sin knocks me out. If God's standard is perfection, I've just committed one sin, one little white lie. I'm out. Now you may stop and you say, well, that's the problem I have. I don't agree with that. I'm just going to be straight up with you. You go read and study the Bible. You're going to come away with the same conclusion. Perfect, holy God does not allow imperfect, sinless people into his presence. He doesn't. Sin keeps us from the presence of God. And if you're watching this or listening to this, you have committed sin. I have committed sin. And if you think any type of righteous acts on your part is going to earn enough favor with the holy, righteous God, you're completely misunderstanding the gospel, which means good news. You're completely misunderstanding Christianity in any way whatsoever. And it still creeps in. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. You know, I hear Ray Comfort do this a lot in his videos. If, if you go and you commit a heinous crime and you're standing before the judge, you have killed, you have murdered. And you're standing before the judge and the judge says, you're a murderer. And you say, yes, I know I'm a murderer, but I'm going to go and really try to be good. The judge isn't going to let you off because you try to be good. Or if you go before the judge and you say, yes, I know I'm a murderer, but... Let me tell you about all the old ladies I helped across the street. Let me tell you about all the puppies I've helped. Let me tell you about all the good things I've done. The judge is not going to say, oh, wow, you've done so much good. I'm going to let the murder go. Your good works can't make up for your sin. They can't. And you can't just tell God, okay, I promise I'll be good because we can't be good. This this is the point of it right here. I cannot ascend, climb until the hill of the Lord. I cannot, verse 3, stand in his holy place. I can't stand in his presence. Psalm 76 says this, you yourself, talking to God, you yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence? Who can stand in the presence of God? I can't. None of us can. Now, not everybody wants to believe that. But the reality is, the biblical truth is there is nothing I can do good enough to earn me any favor with God in any way whatsoever. I cannot ascend, climb into the hell of the Lord, or stand in his holy place. So what's the answer then? Well, he gives us an answer. Verse 4. We need clean hands. We need a pure heart. We need to not lift up our soul to an idol. And we need not to swear deceitfully. Okay, well, I'm already in trouble. Clean hands means your actions. Have you ever committed a sin in your actions? Okay, well then there, I don't have clean hands. Pure heart. I don't even know if I need to teach on that one. Um, I know the thoughts that go through my mind and my heart. Oh my goodness, that's sin. An idol. Lifted up a soul to an idol. Some translations talk about vanity. Remember, idols are not just little statues we put on our shelves and bow down and worship. It's anything we allow to get between us and God. Your spouse can be an idol. Your marriage can be an idol. Your kids can be an idol. Your job, your finances. Bible study and prayer can be an idol. Anything that you put between you and the Lord. Sworn deceitfully. Truth, words, false God. Have you ever had your words get you in trouble? So if the standard is verse 4, clean hands, pure heart, no idols, and do not swear deceitfully, I'm still in trouble. Still in trouble. This is why I need Jesus. Because 
I need, verse 5, blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. See, I, I need blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. Who is able to stand before the Holy Lord of God? If you, if you remember correctly, there's a story back in 1 Samuel 6. And it's kind of a build-up story that takes a couple chapters. Uh, the Israelites go into battle. And they get beat. And they decide that they're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And they treat it almost like a good luck charm. So we can't win this because our nation is sinful, but we're just going to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. So the Ark of the Covenant comes into the battle and the Philistines beat them. And if you remember correctly, the two sons of Eli die and the Ark is then captured by the Philistines. And so the Ark then goes into their temple of Dagon and Dagon falls down. It's all there in 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6. The Philistines then are cursed with this plague because they stole on the Ark of the Covenant and God's basically judging them. So the Philistines say, we don't want this, so they send it back. To Israel, It's kind of an interesting story, and I encourage you to go read 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6. So they send the ark back, and the ark then shows up at this town in Israel called Beth Shemesh. And the people of Beth Shemesh see the ark. They're excited that the ark is back. But then they look in the ark. That's a no-no. They look in the ark, and a lot of the men die. And their response is, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? That's the point, guys. We can't be around God's presence. I'm not righteous. I'm not good. Remember, righteous is just a fancy way to say I'm right. I have to become righteous, verse 5, by receiving blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Righteousness is going to come through Christ and Christ alone. The verse that we quote a lot out here, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, him that knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I am sin, the sinless man, took my sin, and therefore he gave me his righteousness. I believe it was at the prayer call last Sunday, uh, Lynette quoted this verse and she talked about it in her Bible. She has the great exchange written beside it. God exchanged his perfection for my sin, my unrighteousness for his righteousness. And that's exactly what we're talking about here in verse 5 is we get the righteousness from God of his salvation. And also we get blessed. Not only do we have his righteousness, some translations right relationship, we have a blessing now. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places, in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. See, it all comes back to Jesus. I get my righteousness from Jesus. I get my blessing from Jesus. You know, we just sang there in worship, you know, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Not my righteousness, my good works. My righteousness that I have in Christ is the only defense I have. Putting this together. The earth is the Lord's. I'm created by him. I'm purchased by him. I want to have a relationship with him. How do I ascend into the hill of the Lord? How do I climb that hill? How do I stand between the, by the Holy One? Okay, clean hands, pure heart, no idols, no sworn deceitfully. I can't do that. God says, don't worry, I'll still bless you. I'll still give you righteousness through Jesus. When you read the Old Testament... Always look for Jesus, and he's right there in verse 5. So what's the answer then? Verse 6. 
Seek Him. Seek His face. Desire Him. This is an ongoing theme of the Bible. Is do you want the Lord? James 4 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now, I'm not trying to pick on anybody when I say this. I hear this a lot. I hear a lot about people feeling dry. About people feeling empty in the Lord. Um, I read, I don't get anything out of it. I pray, I don't get anything out of it. I listen to messages, I don't get anything out of it. And there are dry seasons in the Lord. Um, I think it's Psalm 63 comes to mind right now. Yeah, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Seeking him in that dryness. That happens. But I also see this a lot in my life and other people's lives too. The reason it feels so dry is we're not choosing to draw near the Lord. We're not. Okay, I don't mean this legalistically. Let's just, just, just be honest. There's 168 hours in the week. 168 hours. We will find a whole lot of time for television and internet and news and weather and social. And when the world was still flowing, we found tons of time for activities and shopping and taking kids to sporting events and this and that. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong. I am saying we find time to draw near to the things that we want to draw near to. We find time to seek the things that we want to seek. So when God tells me right here in verse 6 that I'm supposed to seek Him and seek His face, and James 4 tells me that I'm supposed to draw near to Him, 2 Chronicles 15 says this, If you seek Him, He will be found by you. He will be found by you if you seek Him. If you want Him, He's there. Ain't nobody keeping you from Bible study, prayer, worship, and evangelism. If you want it, it's there. The question is, do you want it? Now, let's just start with point number one. If you don't want it, and you're being honest with yourself right now, a great prayer to pray is, Lord, let me seek you. Stay here in Psalms. Go ahead to Psalm 27 real quick. Verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I can dwell in the house of the Lord. Do we seek that? Is that the one thing we desire? Pray for it. Just be straight up. Pray for it. You know, I, I, every morning I get up and I read Isaiah 50 verse 4. This idea of God, awaken me. Awaken me. Give me the tongue of the learned. Awaken me that I may serve you. You know, Psalm 5.3 is our call to worship at our house. Early in the morning, how we seek him. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. My voice, I will rise it up to you. Do I want him? Do I want to seek him? Now, if you're quick, theologically, you're stopping and you're thinking, okay, but James, Romans 3, Psalm 14 says, there's no one who seeks him. There's no one who wants him. I know. Isn't that crazy? God is telling me to seek him, but he's also telling me that no one seeks him. How do I find this balance? Psalm 27. Same psalm. Go to verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. See, I see verse 7. 
I'm crying out. He's giving me mercy. But look at verse 8. God is the one initiating this relationship. Seek my face. He is putting it in me. That's why when I'm sitting there on the couch, bored, and I see the remote and I pick it up, there's that quick little Holy Spirit conviction that says, do you really want to watch TV? Seek the Lord. Crack the Bible open. There's that moment on Sunday mornings when you're getting out of bed and you look at the time and you're like, oh yeah, I got enough time to go to church. Do I want to? See, he initiates the seeking. He says, seek my face. Are we going to respond to that? I I, I hope you do. And when we get to Psalm 27, I almost did Psalm 24 and Psalm 27 this morning and I knew we wouldn't have enough time. And when we get to Psalm 27, I'm planning on doing a message on what does it really mean like to seek him? I mean, what does that practically look like? And I don't want to turn it into a list of do's and don'ts because that becomes this legalistic half to Christianity and you have to spend this much time in prayer. You have to spend this much time in the Word. It doesn't work. Can you imagine a relationship with a loved one like that? Where the, where, the, where the wife would come over and give you a kiss on the cheek and say, I love you, and then make a little note saying, I only have to do that five more times today? That's not relationship. That's not love. That's a have to. Point one, and just start with this point. God wants us to seek him. Do you want him? If not, then just simply pray, Lord, grant me the desire to want you. Grant me the desire to seek you. Start with that. Take all these verses, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He will be found by him if you seek him. That's where we start and we say, Lord, I want you. I want your blessing, verse 5, through Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing. I want your righteousness, verse 5. He that knew no sin became sin for us and made us the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. I want those things. I want you. And I'm going to start praying for that desire right now. Lord, grant me the desire to want you. Grant me the desire to seek you and all that I do and all that I say. What's the result of this? Verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, all you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. That's an interesting phrase. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And then it's repeated again. Did you catch that verse 9? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors. I struggled with those verses. I, I was like, okay, I'm not getting this. I'm not understanding this. And, and I started doing some studying and some, some very old commentators. And, and they just brought up a really neat point that I really disliked. And they just simply said this. God is so big that the gates and the doors were too small for him and you have to make the gates and doors even bigger. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift it up your everlasting door. Make the door bigger because God is so big, the gates need to get bigger. That's why glory is mentioned five times. The king of glory, verse seven. King of glory, verse eight. Verse nine, king of glory. Verse 10, king of glory. Verse 10, king of glory. God's glory is so big. That's why it says, Selah, stop, pause, meditate, think about God's glory and let him in. 
It may mean you need to make your gates bigger and your doors bigger because what happens is this. Sometimes I let my gate and my door be really big for sin. I mean, like I just have the gate wide open for sin. But for God, it's this tiny little door. I need to lift up my heads, O gates. I need to lift up the doors and say, Lord, I want more of you in my life. Come into my life because I want you. Now look, Selah, verse 6 Think about seeking him. Selah, verse 10. Stop, pause, meditate. Think about God's glory. Do you want him? Do you want this king of glory in your life? Can you go with me now to 2 Samuel 6? If you're watching this at home, I just want to remind you, I, I just feel so heavy on the heart right now. I just want to remind you, if you want the Lord, you cannot climb that holy hill on your own. If you want God, there is nothing you can do to earn any type of favor, salvation, merit, righteousness, grace, mercy with Him. Our works are like filthy rags. If you want a relationship with God, you have to get your righteousness, your right living, your right standard through Jesus Christ, and you have to get your blessing through him. I want to make that point abundantly clear. Because if someone walks away from this message saying, yeah, I want more of the Lord, how am I going to get it? I'm just going to start doing more. You're not getting it. I can't even seek him. On my own, Romans 3, Psalm 14. Even though he's asking me to seek him, I can't seek him. That's why Psalm 27, he has to start the seeking process. And he says, seek me, and I respond to that. So pray for that, Lord. I want to want you more. Here's the deal. You can jump through all the hoops you want to get deeper, closer to God. But unless you're doing it God's way, it means nothing. So you may walk away from this message saying, yeah, I want things to be different. I want to be a better husband, father, wife, mother, I don't know. And so I'm going to do all this stuff. It doesn't mean anything unless it's of the Lord. You know, it says in Psalm, um, it's Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, those who build it. I believe that's Psalm 127. We can want to do it, but it doesn't do any good. Okay, last point here, 2 Samuel 6. Okay. Now, we, we have fast-forwarded. We were in 1 Samuel 6, talking about the ark coming back. And, and now we're, you know, we're decades later. Now we're here with David. They're going to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And it's, just, it's this amazing event. We won't do all of it, but 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the choice of Israel, 30,000. But we talk about a, a big spiritual party. And David arose... And went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abnadab which is on the hill of Uzzah and Ahio the son of Abnadab drove the new cart. So they're going to bring the cart to Jerusalem, bring the ark, excuse me, and they're putting on a cart, and Uzzah is going to help steer it, if you will. And they brought it out of the house of Abnadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, all kinds of instruments of, of, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, and on sistrums, and on cymbals. I mean, this is a party of all parties. The ark is coming back. 30,000 people, music, everything. Verse 6, And when they came to nations, threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand on the ark of God, took a hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. 
wow, that's, that's a, a downer of a church service right there. Um, eight, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Have you ever became angry at God? I've seen it, seen it in my life, seen it in other people. Anger, call me up. Pastor, I don't know what's going on. I know I prayed about this. I have sought the Lord on this and nothing just keeps getting better. I've been fasting for my marriage. I've been trying to be a better spouse. I've been trying to be a better parent. I've been trying to do this better. I am praying more. I'm reading more. Nothing gets out better. And they're angry. And they're angry at God almost. Because they have put so much energy and effort into it. And the house isn't better. The marriage isn't better. The finance isn't better. The health isn't better. Nothing's better. And they're just angry. David's angry. Guy's dead. Who's is dead? problem is though they're not doing it God's way they're doing it their way and don't we do that my marriage should be better because I've really tried to be nicer and so therefore since they're not getting nicer I'm angry I really should have a better job because I've really been praying and reading more and all this energy and effort I, everything I'm doing I deserve more I earned more look at 9 David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord God come to me? David reached a point of breaking in verse 9 saying, how can I have a relationship? And, and don't think I'm adding to the scriptures here. But 9, how can I have a relationship with the holy, perfect God who if we touch the ark, we die. But yet that's what I desire. So 10, David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. 12, now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him, because the ark of the God. A couple points on this. Let God in. Open the gates, open the doors, make them bigger. Let God into your life. Do you not think that Obed-Edom was a little nervous here? Uzzah just died. The people of Beth Shemesh just a few decades earlier died by looking in the ark. And now Obed-Edom has the ark in his house. Here's the difference. And, And I wish we had time to develop this because this is so good. Okay, here's the issue. They brought the ark the first time on a cart. They didn't carry it. Very clear in the Bible, if you've been going through us in our book of Numbers, you carry the ark. You don't put it on a cart. So first off, they're doing it wrong. Point number two, Numbers four, you don't touch the ark. You touch the ark, you die. Numbers four completely tells us this. They had music, they had emotion, but they did not have a right relationship. Are you seeing this? I want God, and I'm going to do it my way. I have the emotion of wanting Him. I have the music of wanting Him. I'm not putting down music. I'm going to do it my way. He told me to carry the ark, but I'm going to cart the ark. I'm going to get all happy and excited. That shows I really love the Lord, but maybe I'm doing it wrong. I'm going to touch it, even though He said don't touch it. Just because Uzzah had good intentions, it does not make up for the fact that he was wrong. Good intentions will not get you into heaven. So you have every intention of wanting to love God. You have every intention of wanting to be right with God. You can't do it. It has to come through Jesus Christ. I don't care how much you read, pray, and fast. It does not matter. 
It has to be through Christ. If you go touch that ark on your own, you're going to die. Don't care how much dancing and how much music and how good your intentions are. You're doing it wrong. Well, then how did Obed-Edom get blessed? We know from studying out the rest of the Bible of Obed-Edom, he was a Levite. In fact, he wasn't just a Levite. He was a Kohath. And if you remember the Kohathites, they were the ones that were trained on how to handle the ark. Remember our study in Numbers. They were of the lineage of the tribe of Levi that were taught how to handle the ark. So this guy knew the proper way to be around the ark. Because he was a Levite and a Kohath and he knew it. Well, what was up with Uzzah? Did you catch this? This is something I've read through so many times. And I don't know if I, when I didn't catch this at first. The ark was in the house, go back to verse 3, of Abnadab. Okay? Uzzah was one of the sons of Abnadab. I don't want to speculate. Had Uzzah been around the ark so much in his house that familiarity bred contempt? That's a danger. It's a danger when I talk to somebody and I ask them about their relationship with the Lord and they're like, yeah, I mean, I've always gone to church. I've always been with the Lord. I've always been a Christian. I've always been this. Familiarity brings contempt, breeds contempt. Uzzah possibly grew up in a house that had the ark. He always knew it. Maybe the ark lost the glory of what it was to him. And so it wasn't a big deal. Oh, that's just the ark. It's always been there. Or Obed-Edom, a Levite, a Kohath, knew what he was supposed to be doing. I bring this up because I want to tell you Obed-Edom was blessed because he allowed the ark to come into his house. Psalm 24, open your gates. Open the doors. Let the Lord, the King of glory, come in. You will be blessed. Do it his way. Not like Uzzah. Do it his way. Through his righteousness. Through his blessing. Seek him. And you will be blessed. Psalm 24 is a great psalm. And I encourage you to keep chewing over that today. Praying over it today. And ask yourself, do I seek him? If not, pray for that. When we get to Psalm 27, we'll do a deeper study on seeking him. And then number two, do I want him to come in? Am I willing to open the gates? Am I willing to raise the door? Am I willing to make God bigger in my life? Remember Colossians. He's not just something in my life. He is my life. My identity is in Christ. Hey, good having you join us this morning. Looking forward to seeing what God has in the future here of getting back together. Be prayerful. Be patient about it. And we're going to be practical about it. We're going to take the steps to be safe. We're going to take the steps to be blameless. But let's see what the Lord has in store this week. And hopefully we hear some more. We can go from there. Boy, if you need anything, let us know. Prayer, encouragement, contact us. Let us know. Bibles, devotional, let us know. If you know somebody can be blessed by getting the CDs because they can't watch it online, let us know. We'll get them sent to them. Boy, be blessed in the Lord. Open the gates. Open the doors. Let him in. Seek him. Let's pray. Lord, love you. Love your word. Love your worship. Love you. The earth is yours in all its fullness, everything in it. Help us to live this out, not just talk about it. Help us not to be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Lord, for everybody struggling, every breath with this virus, I pray you're just encouraging them, uplifting them. Once again, my, my mind goes to Danny and Judy, your hand of health to be upon them. The prayer time this afternoon, bless that, bless Lynette. The studies, all for your glory. Oh, Lord, help us to redeem the time in you. Help us to open the gates and the doors for you. 
to let the King of glory come in. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.